1: Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today we're here to just give some final notes and recap the Giants' mandatory minicamp. The Giants, as you remember, uh, took the last day of minicamp off and did a team activity. um, And then they had two days of minicamp, and now they'll be off until the end of July. So we're going to recap some notes from that minicamp, see if we can talk about some players that caught our attention throughout minicamp as well. We can start with a few takeaways from the mini camp, um, And one of the big takeaways was that veteran Bobby McCain, who joined the team this offseason, was projected to be the starting safety now. It seems like he might be in a battle, uh, though that remains to be probably determined in training camp. He had a great practice, according to the beat reporters who were there in his final practice. He had two interceptions. One was for a touchdown. Um, and then we also had... A uh, few other plays, some touchdowns near the goal line to Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell, and Jameson Crowder. Taylor had some touchdowns as well. Jeff Smith uh, also had some. Uh, Jeff Smith also, who played four seasons with the Jets, he had a touchdown from Tyrod Taylor as well. So some touchdowns in practice as well. We talked about some of the top plays was McCain, two interceptions, and a pass breakup as well. Um, Cordell Flott or Cordell Flott had a, a pass breakup as well and Carter Coughlin. So those are some of the takeaways and touchdowns and things of that nature from the final minicamp practice.
2: Other than that, though, we're talking about Daniel Bellinger's gigantic arms. Did You see this dude show up. What's going on here, Dan? He's more than likely going to receive some sort of just slip from the NFL like, bro, what the hell is going on with your workout routine? Because you look freaking fabulous right now.
1: I saw. I actually read the entire Daniel Bellinger interview, uh, the transcript of it. Shout out to BBI for that. I, I I really feel like Daniel Bellinger gives one of the better interviews on the Giants right now, overall. So I would definitely suggest people go read that. He just seems like a very genuine player, a very genuine person, a very hard worker, and he even you know has a little bit of that self deprecation type humor, which I always like. You know, that really, you know, the awareness he's like, I, he's like, look, I, I know that picture has been going around. There was some really good lighting. Okay. It was some really yeah. good lighting. <laughs> camera guy got me on that one. Uh, but he did say that, look, I weigh, I thought this was interesting. He said, I weigh about the same as what I weighed last year. He's just like the weight. He, and he said, I might even be a little bit lighter overall, but he's like, though just weight is distributed differently because he's cut a lot of fat on his body and he's turned a lot of that fat into muscle. And so there's a really good chance that we could see a quicker version of Daniel Bellinger this year. Someone who gets on that vertical plane up the seam a little bit faster, someone who moves on those crossers a little bit faster. And ultimately someone who presents himself as an even bigger weapon in the passing game than he was as a rookie because you know as a rookie Daniel Bellinger did some nice things in the passing game I think most of it was concentrated on those design bootlegs and those kind of space routes right around the line of scrimmage he had a few passes kind of stick type routes over the middle he made some he- headway on vertical routes I felt like Nick there were some vertical routes specifically at the end of the season when the Giants went more shotgun and the Giants went more pass heavy there were some vertical routes where he was open and the ball just didn't come his way that's the football that's going to happen yeah you, you know Every single read isn't designed to see every single player on the field. Sometimes you're going to look half field and you're not going to end up coming back to whatever's open on the other side of the field. But I thought he made some progress there. But I think, honestly, if he's probably what he's done here is reshape his body to the point where he's lost about five, maybe six, seven pounds of fat, converted it all the muscle and in the process dropped a few pounds. You know, we could be looking at someone who is a much bigger vertical threat in year two
2: much bigger vertical threat, which is going to coincide very well with having Darren Waller there. They're both could be vertical threats there with your 12 personnel package off the play action. You can run one on an over one up the seam. It's going to really stress safeties and we'll have to wait and see if Daniel Bellinger can actually translate that to speed on the field. But even last year when he wasn't as yoked up as this, he had speed. We saw him last year, utilize his speed. Now, I don't feel like the giants really used him too much on the vertical plane. It was much more like play action. We're going to use you initially. In our protection package and then we're going to leak you out and then once he got the football in the space you saw more athletic ability than you expected from a tight end coming from san diego state because again he wasn't really used all that often as a receiver at san diego state because he was more of a blocking that was a blocking type of offense and i really feel like that has really translated well because dan how many times do you see these tight ends come into the nfl Rookie season block as well as Daniel Bellinger. It's a pretty rare phenomenon. And he, I would say, was one of the better blocking tight ends we've seen on the New York Giants, at least since I've been covering this team.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think if there was a better blocker since I've been covering this team. I think that in his one season with the Giants, Martellus Bennett maybe offered a little bit more than Bellinger did as a blocker. But that's also frame based too. like Bellinger doesn't simply have the same kind of frame that the Bennett's have uh, his him and his brother who were both just really strong at the point of attack. But outside of him and he was only here for a year, I would agree with you. I'm not so sure anyone's made that kind of impact. And that's the same kind of and we're talking about an impact he made as a rookie. I remember when we were breaking down his film and talking about what he could do as a rookie. We discussed like, OK, well, these guys got some good reps as a blocker on film. But then you have to ask yourself the question like. All right, well, he played at San Diego State. Like, how much is that going to translate when you're facing NFL level players? Because whoever he's blocking against at San Diego State was 30, 40 pounds, way, you know, way shorter, not as lengthy frame wise. But it did translate it translated already in year one he wasn't the most dominant blocker in the nfl at the tight end position but i think he positioned himself as honestly like a top 12 blocker already in year one and that's only going to get better if he's converting some of that fat to muscle the technique is only going to improve it leads me to something that i saw today uh matt Harmon, who's a former guest of the show we've had him on before he's the creator of reception perception where he essentially watches the tape of all wide receivers and then breaks down their film by assigning them percentage grades on how often they get open on each route of the route tree. So it's not about if the ball comes to them. It's just about if they get open. And Matt Harmon was talking to George Kittle recently on his podcast, and he asked Kittle who are like the next great tight ends in the NFL. And one of the players that Kittle mentioned was Daniel Bellinger of the New York Giants. And what's interesting about that is also earlier – this offseason, I believe it was a few weeks ago, Travis Kelsey. Now you got the best and the second best tight end in the NFL, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. And anyone who wants to argue about who's the second best after Travis Kelsey and says anyone other than George Kittle, personally, I'm just going to tell you you're wrong because you're not factoring in the blocking aspect as much because George Kittle is the best blocking tight end left in the NFL in addition to whatever he gives you as a receiver. But both of those guys mentioned Daniel Bellinger as one of the next great tight ends, And they've both worked with him at the tight end university, and he's going to be there again this summer at tight end university again. So they've worked with him closely. And part of why they were so hyped on him, believing he could be the next best tight end is because of his work ethic. That's what they both mentioned. They love the way his attitude and they love the way he goes about working. And I feel like that shows when you come to uh, up to camp, converting six, seven pounds of fat into muscle in year one, in year two, like. It shows that you're working your ass off during the offseason. So there's a lot to like about Bellinger moving forward. Remember, he didn't really drop any passes either last year. I can't really remember too many hand, too many drops where we were just like, oh, he got to make that catch. That wasn't his M.O. either. Good hands, soft hands, great blocker already. Could offer more in the vertical passing game. Now that he's converted some of that fat to muscle. I really like what I see here. He was targeted
2: 38 times, caught 33 of them. So an 86.8% target rate. And he was credited with only one drop, which was against Washington in week 15. So a very sure-handed player. And this kind of speaks to the challenge that this coaching staff has, right? I don't want to say it's a problem. It's more of a challenge because it's a good problem to have. Darren Waller, you bring him in. He's a top five tight end in this league. And we can get into that in a little bit. Andy Bischoff talked about just how much of a difference maker he is and how he's in that same tier, at least with the Mark Andrews of the world and the Travis Kelseys and the the George Kittles when he's healthy. Daniel Bellinger, though, you want to get this guy on the field and he will be out there in 12 personnel, but how much are the Giants going to use 12 personnel? And that is compounded By the fact that the giants have all of these wide receivers who they more than likely also want to get snaps to so i think just that challenge overall is something that's going to be fascinating and i want to see it play out throughout training camp and it might be a week-to-week basis type of thing as we've said previously on the podcast based on matchup based on who the giants are going up against but i don't want daniel bellinger to be riding pine bro this guy is good enough and has a lot of growth potential and obviously as you said he's very conscientious and he puts in the hard work i want to see this guy out on the
1: football field And speaking to how they would get him on the football field or how they get both of those players on the football field, I did see something. I think it was shout out to Giants fan in Charlotte. I think he asked Dan Duggan, who was at minicamp, who's covering the Giants for the athletic, if there were any examples of what we saw at the end of last season, which was Daniel Bellinger getting in the lineup, but not as a traditional inline tight end and not as a big slot either. He got in the lineup as an H-back. Basically, you know, think of it like a fullback position. Fullback, yeah. Yeah, fullback, H-back, whatever you want to call it. And and he was like yeah we saw we saw some of that already in mini camp as well in addition to obviously you have heard Paris Campbell starting to take some snaps at running back as well as the giants kind of lean into The offensive divine design last year with Kafka and Dable, which is going to involve a lot of pre-snap motion, which we love. It's going to involve some running backs in the backfield, some running backs taking jet sweep type hands off, off, handoffs, running backs coming in reverse, and Paris Campbell will be one of them. But obviously, Bellinger is going to work into the backfield mix as well, more likely as a receiver, but you can also then use him as a blocker as well as a lead blocker, because I'm sure he can pick that up fast. Like I said, he's a hard worker. That's where he draws all this praise from Kittle and Kelsey. And he's converted his body. Right now, it looks like I mean, he says don't make too much of that picture, but it looks like he's in as perfect shape as you can get, right? Like for his body type, he's basically converted everything to muscle at this point. Doesn't look like he has any fat on him. He still has a great frame. He entered the NFL with a great tight end frame, great athleticism as well, testing wise. I think he was just under a nine-o RAS score. So there's not a lot of reason not to like Daniel Bellinger right now. There's a lot of reason to like what Daniel Bellinger can give them to this, uh, can add to this offense. And like you said, it's just a numbers game right now. We'll have to see how that plays out.
2: And it's funny too, man, because last year, Daniel Bellinger was a rookie. Now he's, reshaped his body. It's another year in the NFL. Typically, it takes a little bit for these tight ends to grow into their potential. Now you add Darren Waller to that equation. You add all of these other wide receivers that the Giants brought in. Like This Giants team, when Saquon Barkley signs, is vastly different than the team that we saw last year. And last year, no one really expected the Giants the playoffs. They ended up making the playoffs. And when the playoff game. that's great. But their schedule, as we brought up, was very advantageous for them to have success. Now their schedule is much more difficult. But now with all of these additions that they have brought in, I'm looking at this and I'm like, the Giants still have a realistic shot at the playoffs, even though they are playing the AFC East and they are playing a much more difficult schedule. I think it was what the third hardest schedule, according to strength of schedule for what that's worth, whatever. But still, man, it's uh, it's exciting with Darren Waller, Daniel Bellinger in his second year and all of these wide receivers. And speaking. speaking. of one of those wide receivers, damn, Paris Campbell, who's just been buzzing, in OTAs and in minicamp. There was a play in the second minicamp that caused a scare. He ran a deep route and it wasn't Paris Campbell that was almost injured. It was a Dory Jackson who got up and the trainer ran out to him and he was hobbled, but it looks like everything is fine. And it just kind of begs the question that I wanted to ask you. Since this player does have kind of a reputation of getting injured, he's been injured several times throughout his time at Tennessee. He was injured with the New York Giants over these last two seasons. I think one of them was also like COVID. So take that for what it's worth as well. If a Dory Jackson gets injured, what are we looking at right now at the cornerback position with Deontay Banks as a starter? And then who would get that second starting spot? Would it be Amani Oruwariye? Is that who we're looking at right now as that second starter? Or do you think maybe Cordell Fly is kind of being used in the slot right now? So is he excluded from that conversation? We know that the Giants like to cross-train players at different spots. But man, I just look at Adoree Jackson right now. And if this guy does end up getting injured in training camp, that's going to pose a huge
1: problem for this Giants team. Yeah, you're right. It's one of their most indispensable players just based on one the depth they have behind them, which they've done a good job to try and improve, right? They used the first round pick this past draft and a third round pick the draft before, but it's corner. It takes a long time to develop. And at times like it's a confidence game as well. So until they really lock in and get that confidence, we even saw it with a great player in giants history, like Corey Webster, his first few seasons with the giants were an absolute disaster. And I remember reading the book Then we're going to shout out to Greg Hanlon. We'll, we'll have him on at some point to talk about the book, uh, giants way, Tom Coughlin and I remember listening to or reading what Coughlin said about Corey Webster, and it was like, for a long time there, it was rough with Corey Webster, despite him yeah. having pretty good pedigree, like Cordell five. I believe Webster was a late two or maybe a mid two. I don't remember for sure. I'd, he might have been a three. He definitely wasn't a first round pick. Nah, he was um, a second. We didn't have a first round, round pick. pick that year. Yeah. Yep, And they had Aaron Ross's in and, and that season as well. But as far as Webster goes, Coughlin's like, when it clicked for him during that run. It was all confidence. It's like there was nothing else to, you know, that's what it is. It comes down to comp- confidence for the cornerback positions, everything. You have to feel like every time you run this route, despite or every time you're out there and this receiver's running this route against you, despite the fact that he does technically have an advantage against you, like a big advantage, you're going backwards, he's going forward. It is, <laughs> that's it. physics. But despite that, you have to feel like I can beat this guy. I can break on it fast. I know his tendencies. I know where he's going to go on this route based on his positioning, based on what he's tipped off. I've watched enough film. And that's going to come with time, too, right? Like, as far as Banks goes, he's going to need time. But behind him, Cordell Flott, another example that, if they do decide to go that direction that you mentioned, maybe they move Flott back out of the slot. Maybe they put him on the outside. It could be their best scenario, but it might not be the the, the way they go at the beginning, Nick, because I think at first they're probably going to want someone with a little bit more experience playing on the outside than just having two, not rookies, because quarter Flat will won't be a rookie, but as far as outside snaps go on the boundary, he's essentially a rookie if they were to use yeah. him there this year. Aaron Robinson,
2: too. You can group him in there. Yep. And then who else do you really have? Trey Hawkins, you're moving Nick McLeod more to a safety type of role. or Darius Williams, who made an appearance against the Dallas Cowboys, came away with the interception, talked shit on how he wasn't getting playing time, and then just rode the bench the rest of the season. Luckily, it wasn't cut, like fellow teammate Tay Crowder. But yeah, it has to be O'Rourke at this point, if there is no Adoree Jackson, which to me is a little bit concerning. I know there are others around Giants Twitter who are a little bit higher on him. But the thing that I do like about O'Rourke, which we have brought up before, is his ability to come away with those takeaways, which are huge. It's one of the reasons why I love the manual Forbes. I just think his press technique is, yeah. is, is wildly... Um, underwhelming, I think, is probably the nice way to put it.
1: And I will say this there, you still it's like kind of like a give and take if you put him on the field because this is a defense last year that was among the lead, the worst in the NFL in interceptions. There were no turnovers really from the secondary, and that's not something that was really a big part of Dory Jackson's profile in the past with Tennessee. He was expected to kind of be that when he came out because he had special teams value. And he was a return man. I think he might have played receiver in his past. That's not him. Cordell Flop didn't have a huge history of it at LSU either. So and, and Deontay Banks as well is not really known for his ball skills is known kind of for everything else and his cover ability and his size and his physical physicality. So you put a guy like Amani O on the field and maybe you have a chance to start making those plays and making those big turnovers,
2: especially with Jerome Henderson teaching him. And that's the yeah. big thing, because we've seen good Amani O'Rourke tape dating back to his rookie season. We saw it. We saw a second year was solid. And then it just was a precipitous drop off after that. So we just need to hone in on that player
1: who we saw early in his career. That's confidence right there, right? Like we were just talking about like this dude was playing with crazy confidence right away. And then it kind of clicked and it was like, oh, shit, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can be a beast NFL corner. And then probably throughout the years of getting burned after that, like you said, based on technique issues and things that he did wrong from just playing the position from a technical standpoint, he lost that confidence.
2: And he also has never really played on a good defense. He was with the Detroit Lions during the Detroit Lions terrible run, which has been basically their entire existence. I'm sorry, Detroit fans, but you guys have had it rough for quite a while. The Giants are going to have a defense, I think, that is pretty solid who can get after the passer and maybe alleviate some of the pressure on a player like Amadio.
1: Yeah, I think that that's interesting. He could be a sleeper because I just think about, like you mentioned, those bad Detroit Lions teams. Well, they were at th- over, but until last year when things kind of turned around. They were like the worst two years ago. They were one of the worst defense, if not the worst events in the NFL. And I remember even early last season, there were major secondary breakdowns where people were like, they're going to have to make a decision in season to get rid of Aaron Glenn and they're going to have to re- refigure this oh, thing yeah. out. They turned it around, but you're right. He was part of
0: some really bad defenses. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Speaking of Deontay Banks, man, he actually had a a knock to pass away from... Isaiah Hodgins, I think it was thrown by Daniel Jones, seven on seven in the red zone. And that's the type of thing that I love about Deontay Banks, man. It's just his his initial quickness. I think that's going to come up big in the red zone type of areas because that guy goes from zero to 60, zero to a hundred really instantaneously. I think his 10 yard split was like in the one fours or something like absolutely ridiculous. And when you're talking about playing man covered, you need to be able to react precisely at the moment. Once you realize, oh crap, he's going this way. or Oh crap. The quarterback's throwing the football. I think it's really going to benefit the Giants defense, having a player like that out there and Similar, Adoree Jackson is a very similar type of player. Very, very quick reaction. I think Adoree Jackson is one of the more underrated cornerbacks in the league. So, that tandem of Banks and Jackson, if they can stay healthy, it's like the Giants have a well above average, maybe even a top 10 cornerback tandem. If Deontay Banks can take you know incremental jumps in his game because he's only a rookie, he's going to get picked on early. We know that's going to happen,
1: yeah, without a doubt. I want to ask you something about Deontay Banks, uh, based on a quote from Brandon Brown. As long as we're discussing traits that make the cornerback position because it is something that's interesting to me. I feel like with a lot of other positions, Nick, I can see the traits that make a receiver good. I can see the traits that make a running back good. I can see the traits that make a quarterback good all on the offensive side of the ball. I can see the traits that make a edge good right or a defensive interior corners tougher for me because I feel like a lot of them do share a lot of those same traits I think click and close is important so obviously like that 10 yards but initial quickness and deep speed I've always said it, it is definitely a stop stopwatch position but those are only two things there's other factors in that one we mentioned earlier was the confidence level but then another one that was mentioned by Brandon Brown that I'm curious to get your take on and I'll give you the full quote here from Brandon Brown I think this is via Dan Duggan he said as far as the Dante picks This is uh, regarding the Deontay Banks pick. He said, I'd probably say in a vacuum. I just loved our process with Deontay. It's not just me, so don't just give me the credit or anything like that. But I'd like to say our area scout, Marquise Pendlin. I mean, if you go back to September, Deontay Deontay wasn't even on our radar. We had an area scout who watched him earlier and liked him. Actually, Joe got a chance to see him live in person. Tim, Dennis, they both watched him. Then I go live, and I go see him play against Ohio State. And I see him get beat by wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. The first play of the game. And then he lines right back up and plays rel- with relentless effort the rest of the game. Then he ends the game on special teams and blocks a kick. I just think his competitiveness is something that you covet in our system, especially when you're playing a system. And this is a system that plays a lot of man coverage. So what do you think about the, just that competitiveness, the you know the drive as far as how does it impact? Why would he say something like we covet it in a man-based system more so?
2: Because you get beat in man coverage and you got to have that chip on your shoulder, be Like, alright, you got me there, but I'm going to get you this next time. I'm going to get you the time after that. And I'm going to get you the time after that. And that's kind of what he did against Marvin Harrison Jr. We have it. I think on our, on our YouTube, uh, if you want to scroll down, it's just all the plays of Deontay banks from the all 22 perspective against Marvin Harrison Jr. You can see some of those first plays. You're like, oh, geez, that's rough. And then there was one release, I think, later on where Marvin Harrison Jr. went to go inside and he double hand jams him. He tries to go outside. He just mirrors Marvin Harrison Jr. and then mirrored him back to the inside, just completely shut out the backside route, which Marvin Harrison Jr. on that route, I think he was the backside X. Don't quote me on it. But either way, You saw throughout the game that he was right in his hip pocket, and he wasn't deterred at all. Everyone was talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. before last season, and then he gets out there, and he starts just bawling out like, dude, this guy is going to be a top-five pick. We already kind of solidified him as a top-five pick, and he still has another year of college football. Deontay Banks faced him, and what happened? He didn't shut him down, but he, he wasn't burnt by him or anything. I think he only had 70 yards in the game. Marvin Harrison Jr. And all those yards weren't against Deontay Banks. So I think Deontay Banks only surrendered like two or three catches against him and held him relatively in check. He had the one play where he wasn't aligned on Marvin Harrison Jr. Initially, he was aligned on somebody else but he carried that receiver vertical. And then he looked and he saw Marvin Harrison Jr. coming on the deep cross from the backside towards the sideline as C.J. Stroud extemporized and got outside the pocket. Deontay Banks knew that that's where the ball was going to go. So he came off his assignment once C.J. Stroud's eyes went to Marvin Harrison Jr. and then just knocked the football away. That's a very competitive type of play from a Deontay Banks. So any cornerback needs to be competitive. Any cornerback needs to be mentally tough. Every cornerback needs to also have a short memory.
1: Yeah, and it feels like they've got a player in there who's already definitely making headway. I mean, look, he's already playing with the ones pretty consistently at this point. That's already a good sign because despite the fact he was a first-round pick, that's not always necessarily a guarantee at the cornerback position. Obviously, as we've said, it's a tough position to pick up. The Giants feel good about where they're at with him and you know where he's going to grow. And like you said earlier, he's already making plays, had a really nice pass breakup against Isaiah Hodgins in a red zone drill, so we like to see that. There's a fun debate going on at the minicamp practice, Nick, between... Darius Slayton and Paris Campbell about who is the fastest wide receiver on the New York football Giants. So interesting to hear no Sterling Shepard. He didn't get into the mix. Maybe as he recovers from a injury here, a few of the other giants receivers didn't even really want to compete. So uh, for this mantle, and I will say this regardless, the fact that they have this conversation shows that the giants have more speed than last year, because I remember this conversation last year and I don't know who you'd even put it between Slayton and whoever else last season. Uh, so, Paris Campbell said, Darius Slayton says a lot of things that doesn't necessarily mean they're true. He said with a laugh deep down in his heart, he knows who's the fastest. So Paris Campbell ran a four three one forty at the 2019 scouting combine. Slayton was at the same combine and he ran a four, three, nine. However, Campbell has had major injuries. Was it Achilles for Campbell? Correct. I'm trying to remember. Uh, He's had
2: several injuries. I believe one of them was was
1: Achilles. Yeah. One was Achilles, which is the most, you know, supposedly the most damning though. You know, we don't know. We haven't clocked him recently. So I'm curious who would actually be the fastest. I I think obviously if neither had any injuries in their career, you would just say Campbell because he ran a significantly faster 40 yard dash. Um, But having said that we have said in the past, Nick, that we don't really love the 40 yard dash. We'd rather like GPS timing, you know, how fast are these guys with pads and helmets on and everything like that. But I would be curious to see who the actual fastest is if they ever race. but I know who's not the fastest Nick. And that's Colin Johnson who said, I'm not going to settle the fastest receiver debate. Um, But he said, this is hard to say. I'm sure both of those guys gave you an earful. He says, I don't know, but I can't even tell you, but I, Can tell you one thing, and this is Colin Johnson. I know I'm not not the fastest receiver.
2: (laughs) Yes, Colin Johnson is not the fastest. And correction, Paris Campbell never tore his Achilles. He just had a bunch of pedal foot fractures and then MCL sprains, PCL
1: sprains, concussions. Why fuck Achilles? I don't remember why I remembered it that way.
2: Either way, it doesn't really matter. Those could still stifle your speed. I didn't see it last year on tape in terms of his speed being stifled. I still saw a very explosive players, just Matt Ryan and, and Sam Ellinger and Nick Foles and whoever, me, you, whoever else, the listeners, were throwing the football to Paris Campbell. Just couldn't really
1: get the football to him successfully. If I had to pick, I think I would probably say Paris Campbell. Yeah, so Paris Campbell was, in fact, the fastest ball carrier in the NFL on a single snap last year at twenty two point one one miles per hour, according to via uh, via Next Gen stats. Number two was Kenneth Walker, twenty two point oh nine. Brees Hall, then twenty one point eight seven. Deshaun Jackson still doing it at twenty one point seven two. Christian Watson, twenty one point seven two. Jalen Waddle, twenty one point six eight, and then Dalvin Cook. At 21.68, that one's even a bit surprising. Mr. 455, that just goes to show you how unimportant the 40-yard dash really is because Dalvin Cook just has that breakaway game speed, apparently. And I think he's had that pretty much his whole career. Now he's 27 years old with multiple injuries. So it's like, how how, how fast is he actually? Because Dalvin Cook, I was surprised to see seventh on that list for sure. But Paris Campbell, number one, Nick. I'm trying to think of which play it could have been from
2: his tape. And a couple come to my mind. One was the touchdown that he had against the Raiders out of the slot where he outran like three Raiders into the end zone, but that started at like the 30-yard line or something. So it wasn't that much space to run. And he also had an end around where he didn't score a touchdown on it, but he was running in space with no defenders around him for quite a while until a safety took a really good angle and knocked him out of bounds. I think that was against the Texans. So one of those two are the
1: plays that I think were the 22-mile-per-hour plays. Yeah. And look, that's definitely. And I feel like there was a stat there with Jalen Hyatt. I'm looking for it now, but I can't find it. Nick, I thought I saw something with Hyatt as well, but I did find this, which was an interesting stat. And this is courtesy of pro football focus. Jalen Hyatt last season ranked in the 99th percentile in separation overall and in separation versus single coverage, uh, according to pro football focus. So that was interesting. Oh. A lot just, of that is due to scheme, yeah. Yes, a lot of that is definitely due to scheme. There's no denying that. Uh, I don't think that those stats take that into context. But I did remember seeing something on his GPS speed, too, but I can't find it now. So either way, two of the fastest or three of the fastest receivers on the Giants, just adding Campbell and Hyatt alone gives this team a lot more speed on their roster than they had last season, quite frankly. And we'll see what the Giants can do with that.
2: I don't know how much you can read into the NFL rookie watch. I know they get kind of mocked around a lot of NFL Twitter because they come out with these things that aren't substantiated whatsoever, but they recently tweeted about Jalen Hyatt and how Jalen Hyatt is um, basically not going to see a substantial role on the Giants offense right now because he's behind and everything like that kind of just crapping on on Jalen Hyatt. And I don't know how to read into this, but I wanted to bring up the conversation that that I think it pertains to Jalen Hyatt. And it's not because of this stupid tweet. I think it's excellent. The giants have all of these slot options. We've called them the slot machine because I don't know how ready Jalen Hyatt is to step in week one because he comes from that system. We've talked about that since before the Giants even selected Jalen Hyatt. Mike Rose said that he is very impressed with what he's seen from Jalen Hyatt. He's impressed with his route running ability, but that doesn't mean you're ready to translate and play in the NFL. So I love the fact that the Giants have Wondell Robinson, Sterling Shepard, Jamison Crowder, Paris Campbell, and they can even use Darius Slate in the slot if they really want to. So you're not relying on a Jalen Hyatt. You don't have to put him out there if he's not ready yet, because he might not be ready. And that's separate from the fact that this, freaking really dubious Twitter account
1: ended up tweeting negative stuff about him. Yeah. I don't really care what that Twitter account tweets about him, but I agree with you in the sense that we probably should temper our expectations, maybe a little bit with Hyatt. I feel like it's tough to know how they're going to shake out this receiver group right now until we get to training camp, honestly, because that's when we're going to really start to see more of a sample size, you know, who is getting those first team reps over and over again, because that did matter last year. Colin Johnson moved very fast up the depth chart last year. And we even heard from Brian Dable just in the days prior to his unfortunate injury that Colin Johnson was a serious player in the mix. It wasn't like he was doing it just to you know see things or whatever, like give the guy you know a nice day or you know, here, here you go, Colin Johnson, take a take 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 a day in the ones. No, the seri- they were gonna probably use him there. And the fact that David Sills played so much at the beginning of the season kind of proves that as well. They wanted that big body type out there. Um, obviously injuries played a role in that as well. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see his development for sure.
2: Another thing that we should probably bring up is the Giants ended up signing somebody, which is kind of odd right now. At the end of minicamp, you signed somebody before a six week break of training camp. And this is somebody with like no NFL experience, defensive lineman some people call him an edge because he's like a five technique kobe smith who's like 6'2, 300 pounds and some change i think he was on the titans practice squad as an undrafted guy in 2020 then he was with the tampa bay buccaneers in 2021 ended up getting a chip bro he won a championship so he obviously knows rakeem nunez rochez maybe that put into somewhat of why he was signed obviously the giants were impressed enough with his skill set to bring him in This is just another defensive lineman who's going to compete with a guy like Ryder Anderson, who was praised by Andre Patterson when the media talked to him earlier this week. And I found it interesting because one position group right now that we wanted them to add for free agency was defensive lineman. They poured assets into their defensive line, but now they're bringing in another defensive lineman. I thought if they were to add somebody, it would be an edge rusher, which leads me to believe there's real interest in this specific player that they want to see what he has and then possibly stash him on the practice squad if they can because they like something about him. He's
1: still a young guy,
2: but the Giants have a lot of defensive linemen right now competing for the roster spot.
1: Good problem to have. They finally have some depth on the defensive line. That was a big reason why Eagles were able to make a run last year. The Chiefs were able to make a run last year. Defensive line depth, rotation, not just for injuries, but for when these guys get tired, they're big dudes out there. They're 300 plus pounds. They're not going to be able to play the amount. I mean, they were last year. Look, Dexter Lawrence played an absurd amount of snaps last year. Giants got very lucky on that front, in my opinion. Not lucky in the sense that he didn't get injured, lucky in the sense that he didn't and that too, but lucky in the sense also that he didn't wear down and he didn't have a drop-off in production, Dexter Lawrence, despite playing such a high percentage of snaps because now if he has a chance to get spelled, which he will, because there are definitely guys to do it right now, with Dejan Robinson, Nacho, and the guys you mentioned who, compete, who will be competing for a roster spot as well. He's going to potentially be even more effective, not just he, Leonard Williams as well, in their snaps because their snaps are not limited, but limited in the sense that they're able to be kept fresh for all the times they're on the field.
2: It's crazy. So we brought up on one of the podcasts recently that the Giants have never had anybody like Dexter Lawrence. And I was reading just comments and and responding to people and people were like, what are you talking about? They've had this player and this player and this player. I'm sorry to break this to you. None of those players are even close to Dexter Lawrence. Like, I don't know if some Giant fans, I'm sure people who listen to this podcast are are aware of it, but just how unique Dexter Lawrence is as as a player. Like Right now, through four years of his career, he has 172 total pressures. I saw somebody say that Jonathan Hankins was comparable to him. Jonathan Hankins, through his career, which is much longer than Dexter Lawrence's, has 155 pressures. Like, those those aren't even close. Like, Linville Joseph, I love Linville Joseph. I thought Linville like Joseph Hanks was
1: drafted like almost a decade ago. <laughs> was. 2013, he was drafted. Yeah. yeah.
2: Dexter Lawrence, what he can do as a pass rusher, how strong he is, how athletic he is at that size, it's truly unique. And I don't and think how the many of those ever- pressures
1: were from last year, Nick for Dexter Lawrence, 70, 70. So, I mean, like if you, I mean, you could look at the whole thing if you want, but if you really look at this, the way that we're looking at this, and I think it's completely fair to look at it this way, he's a different player now than he was in his first few seasons with the Giants. So we can extrapolate those 70. Over the course of the rest of his career, and you're talking about in, like who, how many people have 70 plus pressures from an interior defensive line spot in a season? I'm sure Aaron
2: Donald has done it
1: like Donald. at least five or six times,
2: but I'm actually curious to see because last year Aaron Donald was injured a lot. He only had 40, right. which is still a really good season for a defensive lineman. Aaron Donald had 109 in 2021, 105 in 2020, 113 in 2018, 80 in 2019. This is this guy is just crazy. He's only been under. Other than last season, he's only been under 79 once, which was his rookie year. That's Aaron Donald. That's, That's why he is one of the best interior defensive linemen to ever play this of game. all time, people, yeah. People will remember. Like, it's it's crazy what he was like. Oh, man, I loved him coming out. Shout out, out of Ron Pitt,
1: Schneier, too. who wanted to draft him over Odo Beckham Jr.
2: Yeah, I did too. I wanted, him
1: Zach, I wanted him and Zach Martin were the two guys yeah. that I really wanted in 2014. I wanted Beckham. And I was, I was right and wrong at the same you, time. Nah, I said you Beckham. were right, though. Jill. Not really, yeah. though, because... The the I'll tell you why I was the part to me that was right was in scouting because I saw scouting, the yeah. I saw what I saw on tape and I was like this dude is better than Sammy Watkins he has a chance to be the best receiver in this class that part was right but what was wrong is the thing that you and my dad were on at the time which is look you're not going to get this thing right until we build out the trenches that's just the bottom line with football you can't keep firing away at the skill positions that's what Jerry Reese did over and over again and we're starting to see. You know, it is what it is, but we've done, we've shot our wad at some skill positions with this uh, regime as well, right? I mean, we're doing okay taking interior guys as well. So it's not a problem right now. We had a nice inheritance of interior defensive linemen to help on those side, that side of the ball trenches, offensive side, You and I would probably like a little bit more investment, but we've had a a solid amount of investment. We had John Michael Schmitz this year as a top 60 pick. We had Evan Neal last year. That's pretty much all you can ask for, and they've been adding depth pieces and even Josh Azudu as a mid-round pick. So they've kind of achieved both while really not putting much capital into the defense, which is okay, I guess, but eventually Wink will get his guys, and he got Banks this year, but he could use some more. But you're right. You guys are right in the sense that, like, you're not going to get this right by taking receivers. Like, look at what Aaron Donald's, the impact he's made for the Rams. Is Odell Beckham junior's impact anywhere close to that for the Giants? No. no. Right. Is Odo Beckham Jr.'s was Odo Beckham Jr.'s impact on the Giants close to what Zach Martin's given to the Cowboys? Probably not either, right? No. So that's the thing. There's a longevity factor too when you take the when you take the trench guys. Not only are you building out the side of the ball, you know, the aspect of the game that usually wins, which is win up front, but also you're getting guys that have a longer tr- a track record of playing longer in the NFL. Giants were drafting a lot of receivers high back then, too. They spent a
2: a first and a third in 2009. They spent a third on Jarrell Jernigan in 2011, a second on Ruben Randall. Mario Manningham. uh, 12, uh, Mario Manningham, and that was in 2008 before 2009, and then obviously Odell Beckham in 2014. You can be right and you can be wrong at the same time kind of thing because Odell Beckham, the talent was was excellent, and if the Giants and him could have worked something out, he would have been a real generational player for the New York. If he could have stayed healthy
1: is really what it comes down to.
2: That too. And that was also bad blood between him and Dave Gettleman and the front office. And he threw Eli Manning under the bus in an interview with Josina Anderson, which was uncalled for. And I think that was the impetus to allow John Mara to be like, I know this guy is a huge revenue generator for yeah. us, but you're gone now. We drafted. State There's no Mara way Mara
1: used. was signing off on that trade until that interview. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. But it is what it is. Those in the past. And anyway, it ended up we, we we got lucky on that trade because that could have hit in so many different directions. You get a 17, you get 17 overall, you get a late three and you get a, pep, a player in Jabril Peppers who ultimately the Giants, I mean, partially his injuries, but they're ultimately wrong on that. They, they were really high on him. It was a big reason they made that deal, but it's okay because Dave made his best pick of his whole regime with Dexter Lawrence at 17. So kind of saves the whole thing.
2: Bring it all full circle right there. a
1: doubt, especially look, if he's going to play the way he played last year, Dexter Lawrence, you can argue that that's like an, you know, an elite trait essentially for the giants getting rid of an older Odell Beckham. Who's injury. who's had a lot of injuries since, uh, for a player like that.
2: And that's reason number one, why you wait to evaluate trades, because I remember people were slamming mad trades like, dude, you got to wait to see how the picks are. And we were pretty early on Dexter Lawrence on this podcast. We were like, look, I know the stats aren't there, but guys that size don't move like this. And it really all came to fruition this year
1: with Wink Martindale and Andre Patterson as his defensive line coach. Yep. Without a doubt there. Anything else from the minicamp that stood out to you?
2: No, we touched on Andy Bischoff talking about how Darren Waller is in a rare group. He also said this, this was quotable, cartwheels all the way that he's here. So they're really excited about Darren Waller. I'm really excited about Darren Waller. I'm really excited about this 12 personnel package. And I think it's going to be a a fun offense to watch this year if the Giants, if Daniel Jones specifically takes that next step.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And you talk about Darren Waller. He was even seen from one of the Bellinger interviews. He was like, yeah, i love learning from Darren Waller already. A lot of what he has is veteran leadership that's rubbing off on me. And he's like Andy Bischoff. It goes back to their days working together. Bischoff, the Giants side end coach, working with Darren Waller. You know that was a big factor in why the Giants made this play yeah. to go up a third-round pick for Darren Waller. So there is definitely that idea of what the Giants have kind of been preaching since this new regime got here with Joe Shane and Brian Dable, which is we are going to emphasize knowing these players. We're going to emphasize who these players are. We're not in. We're going to do everything in our power to avoid another, let's be honest about it, Giants fans, Kadari Stoney situation, DeAndre Baker situation, Eli Apple situation. They don't want that again. When you have one of those, everyone talks about, everyone, one of my favorite things, everyone's like, you can't draft a quarterback early because if you miss, you screw yourself so bad. I find that very overrated because, first of all, there's not as many blue chips as people think in the draft. Second of all, like, if you get a blue chip running back, what does that even get you? If you get a blue chip guard, maybe that gets you, but maybe he doesn't even, like, sometimes those guards don't even work out like dj Fluke or some of these guys that were chance warm act like guys that were taken in like the top 10 like yeah so like i don't really believe in the idea of like oh if you miss on quarterback you're screwing yourself so much because look quarterback you know what you're doing you're taking a gamble there and you're going for the upside and you're understanding that there is a floor and you're baking that into your projection and, and your investment there but i do believe that you are losing a lot when you draft somebody like deandre baker or eli apple or it's Kadarius Tony, and you have to dump them a year later and just cope to get back something for them. In Tony's case, they got lucky. They got something decent back for him ultimately by trading it for Waller. In the other two cases, they didn't get anything back for those players, despite making such a big investment. And they didn't even have the upside of if this guy hits at quarterback, he's going to change our whole franchise. There's no real upside there. Oh, we could have had a nice number two corner here or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? So it's just like. You, you got to get, make sure you don't put yourself in that position. Again, all those teams that draft, those guys are put behind the eight ball.
2: I remember when Joe judge came in here, that was kind of the message too. We want to bring in the right people. And we bought into it initially, right? We were like, yeah, that's a great thing. We didn't necessarily see that earlier on. Let's do that. And then when they draft the Tony, I literally remember you and I being like odd, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> <Andy> <laughs> we're like, I'm going to trust. I think I said that, like, I'm going to trust that they vetted him. You know, I'm going to trust them at their word that they vetted him. I knew that there was baggage just hearing from people who are close to the Florida program that, that I know personally. And there was baggage surrounding him. And there was publicly the stuff with the guns and the car and stuff like that. All right, it's an odd choice, but I'm going to trust that they vetted it. And
1: they did not. <laughs> so that was a big mistake on the prior regime. One of many. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, who I taught I had somebody who worked a friend who worked for the Florida Paper and well he never mentioned any of the off field stuff, Nick, but he did mention that this guy just was never healthy until his final year that you guys watched on tape. Yeah. So it's just like that's that's also a problem, you know. It
2: didn't yeah, it didn't help that Dan Mullen was his coach for some of those yeah, years, I know because Dan Mullen traditionally well, it hurt like the narrative because Dan Mullen traditionally underused talents
1: like Kadarius Tony and Damian Pierce and players like that. All right, And Pierce has worked out so far. There's Tony still has an opportunity, obviously, but we're not writing him off by any means. No, um, it didn't work out with the giants. Unfortunately. Thanks everybody tuning into the big banter podcast. Keep it locked and loaded here. More content to come. We did say we're going to do some mailbags. We're going to get back to mailbags, live shows on here as well. I think it's that time of the year where it's the best time of the year to answer questions and to field questions and, yeah, and kind of get like the free flowing discussion. Go. We have some other content planned as well. So just keep it locked and loaded here until late July when training camp starts. Uh, Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you soon.